Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brant. And this episode, we're discussing SST-75, the Alternatives record, Hold Your Tongue. It's the first time that we're discussing Alternatives, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting into them. It's a very interesting story, and we've got a special guest, Brant. Yeah, Chris Bopst is on the show today. It's a great little interview, so hope everybody enjoys it, and thanks to Chris for doing it. Yeah, nice guy. Um, yeah, for sure. Brent, I just had a couple of quick spiels before I throw it over to your spiels. Will that uh, work? Sure. I've got a zillion spiels today. Okay, well, I'm going to be quick. Uh, my first one is a bootleg alert. Okay. It's I, uh, I came across a new, well, it's not new, it's just a new format, it turns out, of a Minuteman bootleg. It's called Sickles and Hammers. It's mm -hmm. a broadcast on they, they did a lot of those i think what i feel What's like that? they i feel like they did a lot of those a lot of what radio broadcasts the minutemen yeah oh i think so too yeah, yeah. Th this one is uh from 1981 on kusf fm radio san francisco it's a broadcast from the mabuhe and uh yeah 1981 22 tracks it's so it's early too, and it's mm -hmm. Watt with a pick. It's on Suicidal Records, limited to 500 copies. It says, I actually had this bootleg already on like a CD-ROM, but now I've got it on uh, wax with a bunch of um, flyers on the back of it, which is kind of cool. Hmm. Always cool to see the old copy and paste, or uh, not copy and paste, photocopy. Um, flyers from back then with some Pettibone artwork. So this one's cool. It's 22 tracks though, like, and it, it's, uh, it's definitely a good sounding 1981 broadcast. You don't see a lot of decent live stuff from that era. So that's cool. No, it's pretty darn good, uh, for what it is. And then the second thing I wanted to mention, since we're going to be in, uh, Richmond, Virginia tonight with the alternatives, Mm -hmm. I've got a uh, a band from Virginia called Indian Summer. I picked up their 12-inch record. It actually, I had to order it. Um, it is a late 80s Northern Virginia, D.C. area punk band okay. who uh, were kind of around the D.C. scene, I guess, like uh, Discord D.C. scene, I suppose. This 12-inch, it was... It's uh, four songs recorded by Jay Robbins, of course. who was in yeah, Jawbox, um, Office of the Future Plans. Is that what it is? Office yep. of the Future Plans? I think yep. so. Uh, Burning Airlines and a number of other bands. I think he was Report in Report Suspicious Navy. Activity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Jay Robbins was in Government Issue. Yeah, he was. For a while, too. Yep. Uh, anyways, these uh, guys were... What's that one band he had... Channels, they were cool. Oh, Channels too yep. is another one. You're right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, there was a number of. I mean, Jawbox is still my favorite. Yeah, and they're back um, together. Yeah, I hope they. It would, you know, we were talking the other other episode ago about what band would come back together, and you just know it would be good. Yeah, I bet you a new Jawbox record would be killer. I'm hoping they do one, man. Yeah, and a tour that would be amazing. Yeah, they um, are touring. I don't know how far oh, they're know, going. Not, yeah, not up here, though, no. yet. Um, anyways, so 
Indian summer. I got a 12 inch out, um, late eighties, Northern Virginia, DC punk discord punk scene. You can get it. Uh, it's on fun with tape records limited though to 294 copies. Hmm. So get it while you can. It's good. Like I really like it. It really sounds like if you're like me and you're like, Oh, I wish there was even more bands that I could discover from back then. This really hits the spot. The guy, Steve, um, put a little note inside the package when he sent it. It says, Ryan, thanks for your support. This is the first time I'm mailing our record to Canada. Very cool. Spread the word up there for us. Hope you enjoy the record, Steve. And so... is Steve since, uh, Was Steve in the band? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's um, a guy named Steve Francis. Now, uh, Steve went on to play in a band called No Dead Monsters. And the other guy who went on to play in bands from Indian Summer was a guy named John Dugan, who went on to play with uh, Chisel, Edsel, uh, Pat Best. And Pat Best was in Pelt, is another guy from uh, the band here. So went on to a couple of other bands. I knew I knew of Chisel and Edsel. I didn't really know of anyone else, so I'm going to check out Pelt and No Dead Monsters. But hmm. Steve asked me to spread the word, so I'm doing it. So why is this band on your radar? Because of those other bands you mentioned? Why is Indian Summer on my radar? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't remember why I found it. I was just posted to one of the the blogs or pages that I follow. Okay. And uh, I, I had no idea what it sounded like. Um, I do. I, I know Chisel and Edsel. But that's not why I bought it. I bought this purely on the description. I had no idea what it sounded like. I just heard late 80s, DC, J. Robbins, boom, bought it. Right on. Just like that. Still got to take a risk now and then. Absolutely. But I think that was a pretty safe bet. Yeah. That's it for me. All right. Spielmaster General coming through here. I've got a lot of them, so bear with me. I'll bear down. Okay, I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago, but I finished that Richie Ramon book. I plowed through it. It's called I Feel Better Now. It's, I would say, absolutely essential for Ramones fans. I've read every book there is about the Ramones, and this is up there for me. Mostly because, as I, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, some of these later or mid-eras of, band, of bands in general that are not as well documented. I mean, you will know... A lot of these stories but it's you know from a different perspective it's always nice to hear and I guarantee you you will learn stuff you didn't know about the band and uh, he also in the book talks about the Black Flag show in LA at the Palladium I think it was like the cover of Get in the Van oh the riot the riot yeah and uh, he, he, he says like the Ramones were very aware of hardcore and that uh, when Again, this is his era of the band. They wrote Too Tough to Die, which was kind of like their comeback album after booting Marky out of the band. And, you know, some what they considered to be like substandard albums like Subterranean Jungle, Pleasant Dreams, End of the Century, which I, I like all those albums, but I, I know what they mean. Uh, they wrote Too Tough to Die as kind of an answer to the hardcore bands to t try and take their crown back. Huh. So I thought that was interesting. So which record is Poison Heart on? Poison Heart is way later. That's on Mondo Bizarro. 
Is it? Okay. That's one and of that, the ones they they paid. So Didi was in jail. Yeah. And they bailed him out, and that was one of the ones they got. But Didi wrote that Poison Heart, and someone recorded it way earlier, right? Was it was it Thunders? Who did it? Not Thunders, no. Uh, he So what he did was he had a band very, very briefly. I think it was supposed to include Johnny Thunders, but it he it was him and Stiv Baders trying to get it get it going. It was going to be That's like a super group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Stiv, there are recordings of Stiv doing that song, but the Ramones, I prefer the Ramones one. Yeah. Oh, I love it too. But I was, you know, everyone knows the early Ramones, yeah. and I was just the two songs that pop into my head that are like later era Ramones that I love. Poison Heart. The other one is actually Pet Cemetery. Love oh, yeah. that song. That the whole brain drain album is good, but uh, yeah, Poison Heart's a killer track, and the Stiv ver- like the Stiv version's good too. Um, it came out actually a couple years ago. It got reissued by this great label that I buy almost everything on called Easy Action, a British label. It's mostly like Iggy Pop, Thunders, Nicky Sutton, uh, Dave Cusworth, all that kind of stuff that you know I love, and uh, they did a, a really good double disc. They do a lot of lords of the new church like bootlegs and stuff and they oh, yeah. they did a, a really good stiv one with a live show with that has poison heart on a studio recording of it and it's really good um but no big surprise that the dd ramon johnny thunders stiv baiters <laughs> all-star band fell to pieces <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wonder why yeah if the if my if the story holds up, or, or or if my memory holds up, the story had something to do with Johnny Thunders doing something greasy to Didi to get money for for heroin yeah. or stealing heroin from him or something like that, and Didi dumped a bunch of bleach in Johnny's uh, suitcase all over his clothes <laughs> and stuff, and that that's how that ended. Oh man, yeah. Ryan, last episode, I think it was, you mentioned a split that you had picked up with Libyan Hit Squad and Round Eye. Yeah, man. So, Good CD. Yeah, something you said about that grabbed my attention and piqued my interest. So I I checked it out. And man, I have to say, like, I really liked it. And yeah. so, so I, do you know anything about Round Eye? The band from China? Yeah. I don't, other than they're from China. Like, right. I, I knew not. Well, oh, you, well okay, I, I, I needed to know, so I did a little digging. Well, <laughs> Educate me. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay, okay, well, I'm going to, I'll start by telling you about Libyan Hit Squad. Okay, from Florida. From Florida. They did reform in, in August of 2018, actually, so not that long ago for a show at this really cool looking club in Orlando called Enow. It's like this, um, art, poetry, music venue. And on their website, it says, Back in the wilder days of the early 2000s, Libyan Hit Squad attacked the local dives and watering holes of central Florida with a relentless sound and electrifying frontman. Armed with a bass guitar with a whammy bar and a killer head of hair, Craig England was a sight for sore eyes. They even got to work with Greg Greg Ginn on their last record before disbanding in 2010 when Craig moved to China and formed his current group, Round Eye. Aha. Uh-huh. And I, 
I really liked that. That's the only thing I've heard so far by Libyan, Libyan Hit Squad is that split, but I'm going to track some more down. Really reminded me of Fantomas a little bit at times. He's got kind of a cool Jello Biafra, Joe Biza thing going on the vocals that I really liked. Round, Round Eye. So they have a few albums out, a few full lengths, and one of them, Ryan, is on Joe Keithley's label, Sudden Death. No way. Way. Came out in 2017. It's called Monster Vision. You can still get it on on SuddenDeathRecords.com, I think is the website, or might just be SuddenDeath.com. And this is what it says on the Sudden Death website. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Round Eye, the experimental sax-wielding freak-punk outfit, have accrued a loud and controversial name for themselves since forming in 2012. It lists a bunch of the bands they've played with. Um, DOA, Paul Collins, Ice Age, Ceremony. It says here, I haven't had a chance to check this out yet, but Vice Magazine documented one of their bunker gigs in Beijing in glorious bijou-filled detail. detail. They call call it an unconventional blend of 50s R&B, free jazz, and punk. And this, this one that's on sudden death, uh, Steve McKay, who... I know mostly from the Stooges, uh, played sax on it, and it's one of his last recordings since he passed away. And it says here, this spring, so I don't know when this was written, presumably early 2017, this spring has Round Eye touring the Chinese mainland, supporting Mike Watt and the Missing Men, whom, whom they are recording an EP with set to be released in 2017. No kidding. Yeah, so I don't think that's been released, but... Yeah, I might even... If if it's out, I wonder if I have it. Yeah. And I just never paid attention to it. The thing is, is that Watt, in the last five years, has put out like 10 split 7 inches. Yeah. Well, I really liked both bands, so I'm going to check out more. <laughs> and uh, I haven't heard it yet, but the, the 2014 self-titled Round Eye album, I noticed has a song on it called... You can tell that she's a dud by the fact she has a photo of her nephew as the background of her phone. That's the song title. <laughs> that, that might be one of the best all-time song names. Yeah, man. All yeah. right. You can get that uh, that record that I was mentioning, though, Full Circle, The Split. You can still get it. Like it's, uh, you can't buy it from the label, at least that I couldn't, but you can still get it for like 20 bucks on Amazon on LP if you want. There you go. Yep. Okay. Carrying on. Cause I've got tons more stuff here. Keep, move it, move it. Okay. I have a recommend the Claypool okay. Lennon delirium. Have you heard their new, al- new album yet? Ryan? Is it less Claypool? Yeah. Then I have not. You don't like less Cl- Claypool? It just has never sunk in with me. Really? No, so you I know you're a fan. You're a fan, though, right? I like everything he does, really. But I can see why his vocals maybe are unappealing at times. But this, so if you haven't heard the first one, you really should check it out. This is their second one. It's called South of Reality. And uh, it's Sean Lennon, right? And he yep. he does most of the singing. And it's, it's really good. Like, he's a good singer. He's, I think he, it might be him or last do the guitar playing. Whoever's doing it does a really, really good job. It's really proggy. 
It's got shades of Rush at times. It definitely sounds like Les Claypool playing bass. But I think you might like it, man. Hmm. You know, I don't... I've been kind of thinking, like, maybe I should give him another chance. Um, but I don't know, like, for some reason, his band just never... It never stuck with me. Um, like, you know, in the MTV video age in the 90s, they had a couple of... What was it, you know... Winona had a big brown beaver, right? Stuff like that. It just didn't do it for me. Yeah. But um, I was actually this weekend watching a documentary on the residents. It's called Theory of Obscurity. Yeah, I have it. It's good. Yeah, unless he's a he's a huge he, fan. Yeah, he features in it prominently, and it was interesting when they were showing. I mean, his band play residents songs and his vocal style. You can definitely see he's influenced by the residents. Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another recommend. I'm not sure if this is up your alley, Ryan, but the, uh, the long riders have a new album. They're one of my faves They're And it's called psychedelic country soul, which is it's aptly named. That's for sure. You know, they're, they're back together, obviously. There's been a whole bunch of uh, Long Riders activity. They also did deluxe editions, like kind of these box sets of two of their albums, State of Our Union and Two-Fisted Tales. I picked up all of them, and it's absolutely essential if you're, fa- if you're a fan. Some great live recordings and demos on both of those box sets. But the new Shindig magazine had a cool article about it, and it had a really great story. So I thought I would would spiel that. So back when the band was originally going, their bass player, Tom Stevens, like bailed out on one of their later tours. I think mid-tour, like basically the band was went bankrupt on tour and they couldn't even afford to eat and he bailed. And they had a roadie who uh, was this dude, Larry Chapman. And Larry had played with Funkadelic, like in the 70s or whatever. And... This is Sid Griffin talking. He says, Larry was a genius funk bass player, but he was a heavyset African-American who had never played country and Western in his life. And like the, the long riders really helped him out in a, in a time of need, right? By letting him, you know, be on their road crew or whatever. This is Sid Griffin again. We helped Larry out in a time of need. And for 30 years, he's been saying, I will never forget you, Sid. And I will help you one day. And then he called me one day in May 2016 and said, I know how I will help you. And for quite a while now, he's been Dr. Dre's personal production coordinator. Larry has. And he got them eight days free in Dr. Dre's main room at his uh, recording studio. Oh, nice. Yeah. So they called up Ed Stasium, who, speaking of the Ramones... That's what I know Ed Stasium mostly for is working with the Ramones. He produced a lot of the Long Rider stuff, so he came back and produced and engineered it, and it's a great album. Very cool. I do like the Long Riders. I have the first, well, I don't know if they're the first, but I have some of what I presume are their early albums, one or two. Yeah. You can't go wrong with the Long Riders. Let's see here. St. Vitus released a track. 12 years in the tomb. Scott Rieger's on <laughs> is on vocals, man, and he just kills it. Um, they've got a I think a new rhythm section. Don't quote me on that. Patrick Brudders is ex crowbar and goat whore. So he definitely has the Doom credentials. And Henry Vasquez on drums. 
Dave Chandler, of course, on guitar. It comes out May 17th on Season of Mist. And man, I'm getting pumped. Like L7 has a new album coming out and they, they released a track. It's really good. The Dream Syndicate has another new album coming out and they released a track that's really good. It's going to be a great spring, man. So wait, Vitus has got a new, uh, like a new full length? Yep, self-titled. It's their first oh, since no 2012. Yep. Wow. Yeah, well, if St. Vitus has got a new record, Jawbox better put out a new record. Yeah, it'd be great if they did. Here's something I came across that you might be interested in, Ryan. Is it a new cathedral record? <laughs> no, it's a new it's a new <laughs> band. Okay. Yep. So Doug Carrion, who we probably know mostly Dagnasty, for... Dagnasty and Descendants. That's right, yep. Doggy Style also. Yeah. Has a new band with Scott Garrett, uh, the drummer, I believe, from Dagnasty, on field day anyways, and Peter Cortner, who I believe was the vocals, uh, did the vocals on Wig Out at Danko's and Field Day, maybe? And Field Day, yep. They have a new band called Field Day Sounds. No way. That I'm definitely into. Knew you would be. It's Field Day Sounds, is what it's called? I believe so, yep. Wow. I saw that on Instagram, so maybe that's just the name of their Instagram page. Not sure, though. Okay, I gotta check that out. Yep. Here's another SST-related uh, thing I wanted to mention, Ryan. A couple weeks ago when we did our, or a couple months ago, I guess, when we did our 20, 2018 Top 10 releases, I kind of rattled off some of the 2018 SST-related releases, and I found one that I missed. Uh, the band's called One Square Mile, and they have an album called The System. And they're out of Hermosa Beach. It's John McCree, who was in a later version of The Nip Drivers, a band called Zero Down War, or no, Zero Down, sorry, and a band called War Called Peace. I don't know any of those bands. He's the guitarist in this One Square Mile. Uh, some guy named Noel Neville is the front man. I couldn't find anything about him. But the bass player is Earl Liberty, who of course was in the Circle Jerks and played on Pagan Icons, Saccharine Trust. And the drummer is Rob Holtzman, who was the drummer uh, for Pagan Icons, drummer for Slovenly, drummer for Overpass, and I believe played in D. Boone's Hammerdown. Cool. And it's kind of speedy, I, I want to call it melodic hardcore, but there's probably a better description for it. And what's the name of the band? One Square Mile. I believe they have an EP also. This one's called The System. Came out in 2018, and it's really good. You'd probably really like it, I bet. The, I really yeah. like the vocals. The, he's a good good vocalist. I'm on it. Those last two are good recommends for me. Okay. Just you can keep the Les, Les Claypool and uh, Sean Lennon. Okay. <laughs> here's, a, here's a recommend from a listener. Ken De La Cruz sent us a message and said... Uh, Brent, you need to check this out if you dig Cheap Trick, this White Flag album, Wild Kingdom. He, sa he said, a perfect pop punk power pop LP steeped in all the right classic 70s hard rock. And you know what, man? He's right. It's really good. I got to track this record down. It came out on Positive Force, which of course was Kevin Second's label. And I, I did a little reading up up on it and people really compared it to the the new wind era of seven seconds and like later era government issue only most people said it's better than that stuff and 
I really liked it. There's some covers on it, like a He's a Horror by Cheap Trick, Demolition Girl by The Saints is on there, Hot Rails to Hell by BOC, and uh, Strutter by, or sorry, Deuce by Kiss. But there's tons of Killers originals on it too, and I really liked it. So thanks to Ken for sending that over. Right on. Yeah, you know, there's some good stuff there by White Flag. I only have the early, more kind of punk hardcore stuff. But there, he's right. Some of the later stuff kind of veers out there. And I mean, White Flag have got some records with like, you know, guests on on it. Like they've got a couple of singles, at least at least one, maybe two, with like Dave Naz on. They've, uh, I believe, they've got a single where, oh man, I can't remember her name, uh, but the lead singer for the Muffs, I believe. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I can't remember oh. her name either, but yeah, gosh, I'm pretty sure that she is on a White Flag single as well, hmm. or maybe it's someone else. Don't quote me on that. I'm going <laughs> to quote Brent and say, don't quote me on that. I don't know. I was reading a White Flag article that had a family tree for White Flag that you could click <laughs> on, and it was just nuts, man. How many people have played in in White Flag? Yeah, hmm. I'd like to check out that family tree. That'd be cool. Yeah. Almost done. This will be a quick one, but I had to get this in here because it was one of my favorite tidbits that we've <laughs> that we've ever gotten. I don't know if you saw this, but Chris Shari, I think that's how you say his last name, he does a lot of the art, or I think all of the art for Descendants now. You know how like they do city-specific artwork on a lot of their t-shirts? Yeah. As far as I can tell, he started working with them in like 91 before the Descendants reunited. He was working with all. So he's been he's been doing their their artwork for quite some time and many other bands as well. And he posted on our Instagram. Did you see this about a SWA post that we had? Uh, no. What is it? He said, you you do know where SWA got their logo, right? <laughs> and I said, no, where? And he goes, they cut out the SWA from the cover of a swank magazine. Oh man, <laughs> isn't that perfect? Is that is that true though? Did you check? You probably needed to verify that, didn't you? No, I I I didn't need to bother. I'm sure it's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last. Yeah, I suppose that's pretty perfect. Sure. Yep. Okay, last one, Ryan. It's a book recommend. Maybe you have this already. Do you know about the book called? Life is a Ripoff by John Insane Olson. I do not. Okay, it's on, it's on Third Man Books. John is in the band uh, Wolf Parade. Or sorry, Wolf Eyes. And a zillion other bands too. What he did was he reviewed one record every day for a year. And it's like all over the place for... It goes from like death metal bootleg tapes or like demo tapes to like funk and soul punk rock it's all over the place there's a forward in it by henry rollins but he rever he reviews worm i'm dead in here oh cool i won't get too into it but he says peep the perfect blasting concept one pissed adolescent nightmares that sound even more whacked destroyed and overlooked these modern days than it did from the jump he talks about a bunch of sst stuff in here but or in this review 
But the reason I saved this one for last is because on most, well, I think on all of these, he's, he does a postscript, he calls it. And here's the postscript for the worm release. Besides the rare Saccharin Trust Xmas 7-inch, I had to cool it on the SST singles grip. Too many Dos Domin and Palmel duds to make you wonder the worth of said venture. That said, the Alternatives first LP is super solid skate jazz. <laughs> I literally, literally just got this in the mail like this week. And so it was pretty big coincidence that he mentions the al Alternatives. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, and so uh, the Dag Nasty new band... You haven't even been listening to me. You've just been trying to find. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I haven't been listening at all. It's called <laughs> it's called Field Day. Okay. P Pete Cortner, Scott Garrett, Doug Carrion, Zach Holiday, Summer 2019. That one I'm looking out for. Field Day, though. I mean, there's been a few bands called Field Day, as you know. Yep. Um, for these guys, we've, ta we've talked about them on the podcast. I'm sure. What. Field Day. I remember mentioning them one time. From Canada here? Yep. Okay, maybe. But I think that uh, these guys can definitely claim that name as their own. Yeah. So, okay, cool. And now, is that, that book, though, it's on Third Man Books, did you say? Yes, sir. So, that's the, the Jack White, like, publishing company? Yep. Okay, cool. Where did you order that from? I got it off Amazon, off a private okay. seller. I don't think it's available anymore. Okay, cool. Yeah. That one that one would be interesting. I was like reading a bunch of random reviews. I think it's more for the reviewer. He's like a less bangs kind of guy, I think. Okay. You know. I think that's the attraction, not the the records themselves. Right on. Should we get into alternatives, Ryan? Yeah, let's go to Richmond VA. History lesson, part 1. So, Brant, I bet you you have done a lot of research on the alternatives, right? Well, there's not a ton out there, man, and it, <laughs> most of it's covered in this interview. I was going to mention the band members. Chris Bobst is on bass. Greg Ottinger is the guitarist. I couldn't find really anything on Greg before or after uh, the alternatives. Chris, I think we mentioned this in the interview, was in the Holy Rollers. Also, Keypone briefly and i wanted to talk about keypone are you a fan ryan it seems like you would be the keypone on quarter stick that um touch and go subsidiary yeah yeah man okay so michael bishop who is the current vocalist in guar who took over for dave brocky and was in the band off and on and i think played on like some many of their early albums as beefcake the mighty he was he, I think the singer in Keypone, and if anybody wants to learn more about the Richmond scene, I actually just listened to this interview with him on this podcast called Rockology with this guy Valiant himself, who's the singer, and Valiant Thor, who is from that area. It's really good. They talk about, the alternatives get briefly mentioned, but he talks a lot about Keypone, a lot about White Flag, actually. It sounds like they were kind of the kings of the scene. And he talks about Death Piggy and, and all these bands. He, he repeatedly mentions a band called Mud Helmet as being a really insane band. And I had to look them up. 
And their singer, Wes Freed, I think is the dude's name, is the guy who now does all that artwork for the drive-by truckers, like all their album covers and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. So deep history in Richmond. Lots of cool bands from there. Keypone had Ed Trask in it, a name that'll probably come up again in this. He was in Avail, who I'm sure you're a fan of. Oh, yeah. The first two albums, Satiate and Dixie, are awesome. And... uh, Tim Harris was in Keypone, and he was also in Gwar. Big connections to Gwar with all these Richmond, like Gwar is probably, I would like to see a Gwar family tree. Like, I bet you they've had a zillion people in that band. Well, we should mention specifically, though, because you've just mentioned Gwar a number of times, kind of just as throwaways, but Greg, Jim, and Chris from Alternatives, did they start gore like are they i was looking like greg ottinger he's cornelius carnage jim is like hans orifice and chris was Balsack, right right i don't i don't know if you can say they started it they were all in the band this might be in the interview i'm not sure if they were in at the same time or separately or some some configuration of them were in at the same time but i think i'm not super up on gore history but I would say Dave Brockie. What? Well, what? Come on. Come on. Okay, hold on a second here. I was going to ask you, but I got to ask now. How big of a fan of Gore are you, really? I was a huge fan. I got Scum Dogs of the Universe when it came out in like 1990 and thought it was the greatest thing ever because I was a huge horror movie guy too and read like Fangoria magazine and all that shit. And then I got Hello. After that, like shortly after that, loved it because it's a little more punk, you know. But I mean, I know Scum Dogs of the Universe as well as I know any album. Every lyric, every nuance about that album, I know it. I've heard it a zillion times. After that, didn't really keep up with them. Like some of the stuff I've heard, like This Toilet Earth and... and I mean, I've seen Guar with Odorous and a couple times. I like Guar. You like Gore. I've seen many of their movies. <laughs> <laughs> so all I know about Gore, other than their relationship to the alternatives, is they had a video out when I was a kid, and it's pretty much the only Gore I've ever heard, truly. And I think it was called, like, I'm Sick of You or Sick of You. Right. And the video is, like, it's it's a live video, and they're basically just, like, Hitting the hitting the fans in the pit with a big hammer. Does right. that sound familiar? Oh, absolutely. But I, yeah. I mean, Gwar, they don't is get that a, the name of the song. Is that the song? Sick though? of you, yeah. Of Jim Jim Thompson, the drummer in Alternatives, is credited as a co-writer of that song, and that's like their big hit off of Scum Dogs in the Universe. That okay. album, for me in particular, I I have heard a lot of their later st- like the albums that came after that, like America Must Die, but and this toilet earth and i think there's one called we kill everything lust in space is another one i really remember liking they don't get enough credit i think because of the costumes and the and the shtick but they're they're really good players all of them in the band and i mean they're metal they're like a metal band so i i get it that they're not up up your alley but you don't hear probably because they they play under pseudonyms obviously you know you never hear about these guys in in guitar circles, for example, as being really good players, but they are. Well, I, I was thinking, you know, 
if I came across a Gwar album these days, after reading up on the alternatives, I'd probably pick it up just to see what it was like. You would probably like Hello, because it's raw, it's before they really became a metal band, and it's funny. Like, we, okay. we always thought they were hilarious, like, because they're super sarcastic, right? It's not all... On, you know, on the nose. It's pretty funny stuff. And I saw a picture of Guar in like a really cheesy metal magazine in the 80s still, like Metal Edge or like Hit Parader or one of those. Like an, a re- was 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 it Rip? It may have been. It was, <laughs> it was <laughs> a really early version of Guar where their costumes were, were pretty cheap. And I was super intrigued by it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We should also mention who else is in alternatives on this record. Right. Eric Eric Unger, right, on sax and flute. Yep. Who, who went on to play in, uh, or at least guested on the Lawndale record, Sasquatch Rock, which is SST-125. I'm really looking forward to getting to that one. Only 50 more to go. And, we can uh, do it. Also, also uh, the Hotel X record, Uncommon Ground. Yeah. Which is SST-328. Yeah. And Jim Thompson, the drummer who I mentioned, he's played in a bunch of bands. This This is mentioned in the interview, but he has a record label right now. I think it's still going called Electric Cowbell Records that I'd never heard of, but I looked it up. The website says it's a Brooklyn-based label that releases vinyl 45 records with no genre-specific agenda. Although it does appear to be a lot of like a fair amount of funk and world beat stuff there he did release a greg ginn and the taylor texas corrugators seven inch uh on the label and his band his current band i I assume is called c C s c funk band and they have a number of releases on the label and he also played in the dave brocky experience experience which was like a side project dave brocky did at some point I want to say late 90s, early 2000s with Gwar. And if Discogs is to be believed, he played on a Chain in the Gang live at Third Man release, which stands to reason because Chain in the Gang are a DC band. So, Oh yeah, maybe, hey? I bet it's the same Jim Thompson. Interesting. Yeah, well these guys, like Alternatives formed in 1984, and this is actually their second release i suppose hey hold your tongue it's mentioned in the interview but their first release was friends on the farm and it was a cassette only yeah you can hear it on their Bandcamp page which is alternatives.bandcamp.com yeah i went and checked it out and it's it sounds like the alternatives but it sounds like early alternatives you know yeah yeah it's i didn't like it as much as as this one no the best quote i found about uh, the alternatives and you're right there's not a heck of a lot out there on these guys was yet again from the ira robbins book and uh the quote i like it says during sst's expansionist days of 1986 and you get into the interview uh get into this in the interview as well he he goes on they're all instrumental sax led spaz attack was among the most promising noise the label released and he's right and and like i said you mentioned this in the interview is like sst started getting into this type of stuff around this time instrumental jazzy funky stuff yeah i feel like we're almost 
starting a new era of the label. Like there's going to be stuff like Firehose and Sonic Youth and we're still a ways away from Dinosaur Jr., but we're going to be getting into some stuff that is really going to test. <laughs> if if you were keeping up with this label in real time back in the day, there would be some unless you had disappointment well unless you had really (laughs) avant-garde tastes you'd be yeah no i could see someone walking into a record store back then seeing the sst label going right on you know and picking this up taking it (laughs) home and going oh no you know (laughs) like this is not what you expect from sst well you know i'm sure i asked him this in the interview but i i often ask these guys because i'm curious because hindsight's 2020 right or it's always weird looking back. Like I'm always, I'm always curious about how were you received? Like what, because it's not like the alternatives had a bunch of different options for bands they could play with that sounded like the alternatives, but you know, or like slovenly for example, but I mean, I guess they played with fire hose and stuff like that, but you know, they either had, had a good audience. A, A good example is that, Sim Kane, Andrew Weiss band, Regressive Aid. Yeah, a, these a, guys would have fit with them. Yeah, and those guys, Sim Kane told us they had a huge, you know, a good following. So maybe people were more progressive minded than we we're giving them credit for. I found a, yeah. a similar quote. It might have been on their Wikipedia page actually. Metal tropical surf with connections to prog and space rock, albeit an unusually concise, powerful and disciplined version of those genres. Hmm, interesting. And I mean, as far as there uh, not being a lot out there on the band, I'm happy to to fix that, Ryan, with this interview with Chris Bobst. Should we, should we head over to that? Definitely. All right, we're joined today by Chris Bobst. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing well. Great. We're talking about alternatives today specifically the hold your tongue album but we can talk about anything you like can you take me back to the start of the band were you guys still in high school when you started this band or was it a after high school thing no it was you know college our first year of college and uh we uh loved uh, hardcore and skateboarding and everything underground and we met at uh dcu virginia commonwealth university and we started playing together, and uh, uh, we were big fans of SST records, and you know we were all kind of uh, versed in '70s classic rock, and then uh, hardcore. The DC scene were all from Northern uh, Virginia. And then we started playing when we uh, came to college in 1984. Okay. And it was the four, the complete four piece, or did Eric come in later? Uh, it was the three of us initially, right? And then we started uh, playing with uh, Eric probably about uh, three months after we were playing together. Okay. And it, was the idea right from the start to be an instrumental group? Uh, well, <laughs> not initially, but. Everybody that wanted to sing, we didn't want to sing. Like, got, <laughs> then, like the, uh, the three, none of the three members, or you were trying, you actually tried out singers? Uh, yeah, none of us really wanted to sing. And then, you know, friends of ours and people we knew were like, hey, I'll sing. We were, didn't want that. And, you know, we were fans of instrumental music. And 
you know, the ventures and various jazz stuff, um, dub reggae. So we just decided um, not to have vocals because language sometimes gets gets in the way right. of communication. Okay, so it's the four of you. Take me through the timeline. When when did Gore come into the picture? Was that before alternatives, during, after? Oh no, I was uh, I was playing with Death Piggy uh, when I started the alternatives. So um, I was the founding member of, of Guar. I had joined Death Piggy, which was uh, Dave Brockie's band, which was right. kind of uh, in its last throes, and then we came up with this kind of vaudeville idea of music <laughs> so uh guara was just one of a couple of different groups that we would play we play as death diggy we play as a you know a pretentious 80s pop band called prestige we had a generic hardcore act called the nazi killers <laughs> and we had guara okay so uh, but Guar, of course, became uh, the most popular of the three right. <laughs> of the four. We had a bunch of ideas going on. Um, but, you know, I was playing with them and uh, then started the alternatives. Is that and kind then, of like a thing yeah. in the Richmond scene? I know, for example, we're, we're Canadian and up in Vancouver, they have what they call the pig fuck bands, which yeah. were like people from other bands often f kind of forming joke bands for one-off shows. Was that some, something that's like a hallmark well, of the Richmond scene or just you and your friends? Well, we were all, um, we were all practicing in the dairy, right? Uh, the Richmond dairy, which was an old milk bottle turn of the century building, uh, that actually has two milk bottles in the front of it. And when we got there, uh, it was totally dilapidated. Uh, but they rented out spaces for cheap and, you know, the scene was so small at that point. Uh, it basically housed uh, a large segment of our community, and we just started playing together. Right. So it was kind of an organic approach. When you say the scene is small, like who would have been some of the other bands that, you know, any listeners well, that there, want there to was, check out the Richmond scene? Who, sh who, are, the, who are the bands? Uh, well, it was on a roll. Uh, they later... Uh, released records on Homestead. We did a tour with them uh, on the Croatian of Conformity Technocracy Tour, Okay. Uh, the first national alternatives tour. Um, there was Graven Image, Death Piggy, uh, Prevaricators, White Cross, Good Guys, or the Tonics. It was kind of a, a wide-open scene. Yeah. It was bonded more by attitude than strict adherence to a musical genre. Right. So you guys, you were accepted into that scene, alternatives, as like a... Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the crowd you played oh, to? No, you played with other, with punk bands predominantly? Oh, yeah. We played with pop bands, punk bands, ska bands, weirdo bands, free jazz bands. It, you know, there wasn't like a, you know, strict adherence to any one uh, genre. Yeah. It was just like if you were outside the mainstream that's basically uh your crew <laughs> and were the were any of the people in the band i'm assuming eric for sure were they were you like technically trained jazz musicians did you play in high school jazz bands uh, no 
Not really. We just, it just came. Eric had some training, but we, you know, we loved, you know, Charles Mingus and Coltrane, that all kind of post bebop stuff. Yeah. And uh, we just played, you know, just kept playing. And I took some theory classes, but, you know, mostly I just learned stuff on my own. I mean, Greg clearly was a metal guy. You can hear it in his playing, I would say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we were, you know, it was more hardcore. At that point, people forget that metal was so awful. Yeah. This is before the crossover <laughs> you know? stuff probably really started well, happening. Well, it was before Slayer and, yeah. you know, Exodus and things like that. We were turned on to, like, you know, Bad Brains and uh, yeah. 9353, which was a great dc band that most people don't know about who are they but you know 9353 okay yeah they're totally like kind of weirdo frank zappa wall of voodoo Mm. type of band (laughs) but they were a great unbelievable live band Mm. and then uh greg totally copped his total rig from jason the guitar player oh really yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great band should you know just one of the lost bands of that era yeah did they record yeah they did um jeff nelson of discord uh put out their cds they're not mastered very well yeah. uh this is then, way yeah, later he put it out first, yeah way la- in the 90s right yeah. they only lasted from like 83 to 87 okay maybe 84 but great unbelievable live band and so at some point you guys record the friends of the farm cassette only release yeah. around 85 i believe yeah uh probably the, the winter spring of 85 okay and then are do you know how you got on sst were you playing with those bands well i went you know we all went to see um you know the uh black flag gone painted willy tour Mm-hmm. And I've been in touch with them through mail order and things like that. And I just gave Gin our cassette and, you know, hung out and, you know, right. took him to get something to eat. You gave Didn't him really the... think anything of it. And, you know, probably two or three months, you know, two months later, Sonic Youth played in Richmond and we opened up and I'm talking to Kim Gordon. She's like, oh, you guys are recording for SST. I was like, what? (laughs) So, you know, I called uh, SST and, you know, I didn't know what to say. You know, I got Dukowski on the phone. And the only thing I could think to say was, you know, hey, you know, Chris Bob's calling from Richmond. Uh, One second trust going on tour. And he was like, yeah, they're not coming out east anytime, but are you in the alternatives? I was like, yeah. He's like, you want to do a record? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it was like a dream come true. It was sort of like, you know, uh, it was somebody like Led Zeppelin and, you know, uh, Jimmy Page calls you up. Right. And it's like, you want to record for Swan Song? So, and we were, you know, we were beside ourselves, you know, we couldn't believe it. Yeah. And then he asked me, like, do you know the guys in, Black Pyramid, and who turned into Always August, and I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, we want to sign them too." Yeah, I was gonna, so I was gonna ask day, if that was a coincidence because their their record came out. It comes out shortly after yours, so I wasn't I sure if you if you knew those guys. 
oh yeah, you know, we were friendly. Yeah. You know, we, we hung out and they were all part of the scene. And I saw Lee West later that day and I said, man, I just got off the phone with Tukowski who wants to sign Black Pyramid. And of course he didn't believe me. You know, he was like, what are you talking about? So I gave him the number and he called and we were both, you know, we were both thrilled. Couldn't believe it. You right. Know? So it was like a dream come true. So uh, did you start touring after you did the uh, Hold Your Tongue album? Or had you already been touring? Oh, yeah. We, uh, you know, I got in touch with, uh, you know, Gan, talked to him directly. And we made, uh, you know, we're like, want to record out there at Radio Tokyo because, you know, all the stuff we loved was recorded there. And, you know, I knew Ethan James as the late period keyboard player for Blue Cheer. I was like dude <laughs> i want to record with him right so initially greg gain was gonna uh produce it but we didn't we didn't want him to do it okay <laughs> we didn't like the sound so much uh but we ended up you know driving all the way out there and recording um at radio tokyo i think the whole thing cost about 1200 bucks and you were happy with the results oh yeah we were so you know, amped and psyched, you know, the record was, you know, the difference between Friends of the Farm and Hold Your Tongue is, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, played everything, big leap forward Yeah, for we sure. played everything twice as fast, Yeah, you know. And then we were using Black Flag stuff and, you know, it was, you know, crazy. When you recorded, you used Black Flag's gear? Yeah, we used Stevenson's drums. I used... Uh, uh, Dukowski's bass rig. Okay. And when I went, when I, we walked in there, Ethan is uh, scoring. He was playing keyboards along to this like porn. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, I'm making money, man. This is how I make my money. So he was scoring all these uh, porno movies before he recorded us. Yeah. And then I got to talk to him about Blue Cheer and right. things like that. You know, we were there for about five days, you know, and sleeping in the back of Radio Tokyo <laughs> in the van. So how planned out were the song structures in the studio? Did you, was there, like, did you guys jam? Oh, we, you know, we, yeah, we had everything yeah. uh, well uh, arranged before we walked in there. It was basically, you know, knocking out the live set. What about live? Did you jam live? Oh, uh, very rarely. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we would, but, you know, it was all, we were kind of anti-jam. We were more into, you know, precision. All right. Now, at one point, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, Greg, and Jim were all in war at some point. Oh, no, yeah, because the band basically fell apart. Death Beats fell apart. And uh, I was like, well, you know. Like, these two guys can play. We all we're all friends, and I taught them the song. So okay. when we recorded uh, "Hold Your Tongue," we were in Guar. Oh, I see. Okay. Can you explain the kind of evolution of your character in in Guar? <laughs> well, I, I believe it's kind of know, two, it was... two different characters that ended up merging. Oh yeah. Well, initially, uh, Steve Douglas was you know wearing the um, the jaws of death. Um, but then, you know, he, he quit 
and I just kind of took it over. They wanted me to do it because I would bang my head. They wanted the, uh, you know, the jaws to move. So oh, okay. I went to uh, <laughs> ball sack after that. <laughs> and when you say the jaws, what what are we talking like? How? Yeah, you know the jaws that the character has. Right. Was, uh, like is it this? It was actually my high school football helmet <laughs> that we modified okay. you know, cut off the front and then put the jaws on it with the spring yeah that's what kind of what i meant and, like I'm, I'm curious about how sophisticated the uh oh it was not sophisticated at all <laughs> <laughs> it was actually very painful to wear because we weren't thinking you know we just wanted to look cool we weren't thinking well you know the thing will hurt me right and you know i had screws in it so i would have it would always cut my head and then <laughs> you know my pads and stuff would cut into me too so right after those shows i would be bloody <laughs> but not, it was not fun. just fake bloody you know? no it was real bloody <laughs> <laughs> and then a lot of times you know animosities would come out during the fake um battle scene so People would be wailing on each other, <laughs> you know, and be pissed. If you look at some of the older original videos, you can see that people are getting, you know, hurt <laughs> and getting mad about it. <laughs> so uh, it was fun uh, for that time. Yeah. But then that, you know, that group basically, you know, there was all types of internal conflicts. Um, with that many people. Right. And then Hunter, the main, the guy that came up with the original concept, he left town with all the costumes. So when we quit, it was like, it didn't look good uh, for the, for Guar. Right. You know, we thought it was over, but you know, they carried on mm -hmm. and we, you know, it was much easier just to be a three piece, you know, four piece at that point, as opposed to 20 people. Right. which was Guar. Yeah. Were were you touring at this point then with Alternatives? Uh, no. No? No, we wrote, the Alternatives basically wrote the first album, uh, first Guar album. Oh, okay. Right around the same time as uh, Hold Your Tongue. You're talking about Hello? Yeah. Most of those songs are Dave and I. You know, I had written most of them. Okay. And it wasn't like we were trying to come up with masterpieces we were trying to mock the form that we hated so much right <laughs> you know, we we really thought that uh you know heavy metal was stupid yeah you know and uh as i told dave later i was like you know he you know i used the clash lyric uh in death and glory i was like you know he fucks nuns later joins the church <laughs> so you know, and I, you know, and I used to joke with them. I was like, I don't want to be king of the idiots. You know, <laughs> I don't want to do that. It's funny because, you know, it's still going today. It's like, you know, some fart joke you told 30 odd years ago that people <laughs> are still telling. Yeah. But, you know, we're all still friendly with everybody in the band. And, That's good. You know, it's done in a, a kind of an institution, which none of us ever thought would happen. It wasn't yeah. in our thought process at all looking ahead you've got two more releases on sst group therapy and buzz um right. any uh preference for you for those for the three albums 
Uh, I wish that uh, uh, group therapy was mastered better. Um, but, you know, I like that record. I think Buzz is probably, you know, us at our pinnacle. Okay. In terms of, you know, Eric. Eric was always, you know, um, combative. And then we had really synthesized our thing. You know, we'd done a couple of national tours, a bunch of East Coast stuff. And, you know, we we, we were a real band. You know, yeah. we uh, toured and played and, you know. When you were touring, were huh? these like the SST package type tours or were you just out on your own? Oh, uh, we would, no, we would, we would play with, you know, uh, regionally. Oh, I see. You know, we'd play with Firehose in L.A. or California. We'd play with Primus. Um, we played with Salonius Monster, Flaming Lips, uh, Bad Brains, who we knew, yep. you know, and HR, you know, who I knew from D.C. And we ended up playing a bunch of shows with them, but not never national. Right. But, you know, you know, weekends or a week here and there. I mean, we toured, you know, probably in a five, six year span, you know, probably six to eight months out of the year. Right. Now you mentioned um, that you're not super happy with some of the mastering on say group therapy, for example, I noticed you have a Bandcamp page with friends of the farm and hold your tongue on it. Any, right. any uh, chance of having the other two albums up and, maybe remastered oh in no any way. yeah well i'll get them up eventually those are just the ones that uh that are up now i see okay and then we have some you know i posted some live videos on my um youtube page right and you went on to join uh the holy rollers is that right uh-huh after the alternators broke up a guy in richmond at trask was playing drums uh for them and the the bass player wanted to switch to guitar, and so I ended up playing with them for about three years. Okay. After that, and what did everyone else go on to do? Or did they keep playing music? Uh, well, uh, Greg and Jim went back to school, finished college, and uh, Jim puts out records on Electric Cowbell Records. Okay. Uh, and Greg is a, a computer a network protocol and um, protections okay works from home and then Greg I mean uh, Eric Unger lives in California who's Eric Bobst that did the front cover oh that's my brother okay was he uh... you know everyone in my family's an artist right you now a painter my mother and grandmother okay. so we all you know we, we all met here in art school you know so that was always a big part of our community okay and eric did the back cover yeah what are you doing now you're tell everybody about uh your radio show well I, uh, you know i've been doing this you know i had a radio show for about uh starting at the end of the 90s okay and i did commercial radio for probably 10 12 years and then I do the, the podcast, uh, The Boat Show, right. um, which you can find just by looking up my name. And uh, I've been doing that for years, the book shows, for years, you know, graphic, all different types of stuff. Yeah. You book shows locally? Is that what you Oh, said? no, yeah. I book, 
you know, in Richmond for the longest time. And if you wanted to see something, the only way you were going to see it is if you did it yourself. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so I booked a bunch of stuff. You know, and I would usually book just stuff once, you know, because I wanted to see it. Right. And then, you know, if I wanted to see it again, I didn't want to have to worry about money or anything like that. So I've been in and around music my whole life. So. Are you still playing at all? I'm not in the band now. No. The last thing I did, I did some songs with Keypone, which was on Quarter Stick Records. Right. Uh, actually, Mike Bishop. Uh, who's now singing for Guar again, or he's singing now, he used to play bass. He, he was uh, the one I chose to replace me in Guar. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and that's with Ed Trask and Tim Harris, and, you know, right. done, you know did some live shows with them, but, uh, you know, I played music for, in bands for 25 years, it's like, at some point, it was just like, oh, God, I don't care anymore. <laughs> Anything I, uh, I'm i forgetting to ask you about alternatives? Uh, no. I mean, the thing, well, you know, we were, you know, square peg, round hole, you know, at, at, at that point, you know, playing kind of spazzy punk instrumental music, you know. Oh, my God, we used to get hailstorms of spit <laughs> um, from crowds, especially when we did that tour with uh, COC. Right. I mean, it was like, you know, and people, some people liked it, but, you know, the big punker crowds were, you know, covered us in spit. We played at uh, Fender's Ballroom on that tour with, you know, SNFU, um, Blast, you know, and it was like... <laughs> that might have been a tough crowd. A <laughs> couple thousand people spitting on you, but, you know, it was actually, you know, that I became it was kind of a pivotal moment because we didn't give a fuck, right. you know, it was like, fuck you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we ended up playing at Rogers later that night. And that was the thing we took from gone, which was play wherever you can, as much as you can. So right. we played that gig and then played the late night show at Rogers. And, uh, you know, and then we did a ton of record stores after that. You know, we always did that when we went on tour. You did in stores when you were on tour? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always. We always, you know, the thing we got most from Black Flag was just kind of the work ethic, you right. know, our gain in particular. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd play anywhere we could. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely, you know, a little bit of uh, shape of things to come on SST because after this release, there's going to be quite a few bands that are kind of gonzo uh instro bands like oh no hotel x and oh yeah um the sort of quartet oh, yeah. and... paul mall and you know yeah. you know universal congress of who we ended up touring europe with later okay. after they left sst i mean <laughs> the downside of that was you know we're kind of people were from the era that people were like oh sst sucks yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> uh because greg put out so much stuff and it was weird how, you know, at the beginning of the 80s, people were trying to run away from rock. Right. You know, kind of that. And then, you know, as you got closer to the end of the decade, with the rise of, uh, you know, sub-pop and then suddenly reptile, but more sub-pop, you know, um, becoming like rock bands again. Yeah. And we weren't interested in that at all, yeah. you know. 
I wanted rock to die. <laughs> I remember when uh, You're Living All Over Me by Dinosaur came out. And I was like, you know, I, I knew it was good, but I was like, oh, Christ, it's, you know, classic rock all over again. Yeah. You know, and then Alternatives played with Tad for about two weeks, and, you know, uh, we knew their um, road person. Right. And they're like, oh, my God, they hate playing with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we got along fine, but we were, you know, apples and oranges pretty much. Right. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me today, Chris. It's uh, hey, no problem. I really thanks appreciate for, uh, having you. Asking the questions. Yeah, you bet, man. You take care. All right, cool. Thanks. All right. Thanks very much, Chris, for coming on the podcast. Yet again, we we, uh, we get all this extra cool information that you just can't find anywhere else about the band, and it really, really adds to when you're listening to the record, for me anyways. Yeah, for sure. A few of the things I pulled out that I wanted to mention, this band 9353 or 9353 that he talks about. Yeah, man. Did you check them out? Do you know them? Oh, yeah. I've got a few of their records. Did you like it? Or do you like oh, it? Oh. Obviously you do if you own a few of their records. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I don't know why I found them. I just, I read up on them as being like DC or discord related or something like that and i didn't even go back and like figure out why i got these records but it's just back in the day when you know they're they're somehow related to other music that i like so i checked them out and uh, i've hung on to them yeah i had never heard of them so that was cool i always love hearing about about stuff that i'm unaware of my favorite parts of the interview were uh the fact that they heard from kim gordon about being on SST. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my what favorite, my, my two favorite little factoids were the fact that they used some of Flag's gear to record this album. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that Ginn was going to produce it and didn't. And my favorite factoid was the fact that Ethan James paid his rent by scoring porn movies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Just just for those who are keeping track, that's uh, Brant's second porn <laughs> reference in this episode. Just got to just got to point that out. Sorry, buddy. No problem. Great interview though. Thanks Chris for doing it. Totally. Uh I it would be great if um he came on again for the next couple of records. Yeah. And a good nod to uh one that I'm looking forward to that we're going to be getting to the Always August, he mentions that their name was originally Black Pyramid, which is the name of the the album that we'll be getting to in just a few weeks. So that was cool. Yeah. I'm interested to see what you think about that record, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see what you think about this one. So do you want to talk about the tunes? Sure. History Lesson, Part 2. I wrote notes on every song, Ryan, but I, I kind of feel like we don't need to go through them all. I'm just going to maybe pull out some highlights. Does that work for you? Yeah, and so here, here's my take on this record. Okay. Is I like it. It's not going to be something that like I go back to often, but when I go back to it, I know I'll like it. But I didn't, I had a hard time writing down notes for each track because a lot of them have a, 
they're distinct. They're all distinct songs, but they have a similar vibe in yeah. the sense that they're kind of, you know, with the sax as or the, you know, there's a few songs where flute is is played, but where the sax is kind of like the the vocals, I guess. Yeah. And they're in, it's in a, a lot of it seems to be in a very similar key or or neighboring keys. Yeah. A lot of the songs with um, kind of a a surfy, spastic jazz with, uh, you know, sax and then kind of like chorusy guitar and really and kind of metal guitar mm-hmm. all bl- blended together. It's not again, it's not that you can't write a lot about the songs or, or they're not distinct, but the same thing kind of came up for each song for me. Right. Is how I would put it. I don't yeah, know if that makes sense. It does. I mean, a few of the songs, Eric doesn't play anything on them. Like probably about three or four of the songs are just the trio without any sax or flute. Yeah. And then you've got, and, and, you've got the songs with sax, which are often double tracked, it seems. Yeah. And playing, you know, a little bit differently, which kind of adds to this. You know, at first listen, I, I'm glad I asked him this question in the interview, something about, did you jam? And he says, no, never. We were into precision. And it kind of, I, when I listen to it after the interview with that in mind, you can hear the arrangements are very, like they stop on a dime so many times. But the, oh, yeah. but the guitar tone and the chaotic kind of nature of the, especially the sax, it kind of masks the the, the precision. Yeah. For, for someone like, well, I don't want to, I guess, kind of slam, you know, people who don't listen very carefully or whatever. But I can totally see why someone would put this on and it would sound like a chaotic jam to them. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, but it's actually quite the opposite if you listen to it closely. Yeah. And th- and there are some songs that stood out for me. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, with with like, what is it? 20 tracks, isn't it? Yeah. Something like that. Like. It's a fair amount of music and it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot to take in. I found a lot of the, especially the sax playing to have like a Middle Eastern vibe almost to it. Yep, for sure. But I, I tend to like the ones with the sax more than the flute. And here's kind of the, and jump in anytime here, Ryan, but yep. I, I wrote for Sunset, it's a good opener, and I liked. I tend to like the tracks where Eric's going off on sax more than the flute, is what I wrote. For a Me lot too. of them, I, I noted the Gin-esque nature of the leads. Hard to, to not point that out for me. For one of the tracks I wrote, Let's Get Real Real Gone for a Change. <laughs> <laughs> the song titles are fantastic. Yeah, they are. I, I actually noted, like, over-the-counter culture is... I wrote Wynn's best song title. Yeah. <laughs> I heard some meat puppets in that one. And I, I wrote, that's the epic of the album. Like, I think the meat puppets thing I picked out was he does like the harmonics on the album, which is something you hear on up on the sun a little bit. And that one over the counterculture, I wrote the main riff is reminds me of, I won't stick any of you unless, and until I can stick all of you off of family man by flag. Like, I don't think they were ripping it off or anything. That's not what I'm suggesting, but it, no, it reminded no. similar me of it. Vi- similar vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. 
Uh, there's a lot of finger picking on the guitar, which is kind of mix it mixes it up a little bit. Lots of twists and turns in the in the music. There's a few songs that really showcase like the rhythm section, which is nice to hear. Like the oh yeah, they're serious players. There's no doubt about it. You know what I really liked that caught my attention a couple of times was when the acoustic guitar came in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. On the record. I thought that that was a real nice touch. Circular Motion was a standout for me. I wrote, sounds like something all might have done for one of their instrumentals. Yeah. Chicken Box, I really liked the interplay between Eric and Greg, like the guitar and the, the sax. It's got some East Bay Ray space echo in it, which was cool. House of Tofu, I can hear a Bad Brains influence on that one, which is a band I believe Chris mentions in the interview. Yes, he does. Yeah. From around uh, where they where they grew up, I guess. Yeah. Out of My Brain was a standout for me. The third last track, that one really stood that, out for me. Every yeah. time that I would uh, get to that one on side two, which is full of a lot of music, that one would stick out. Living on Starch, I wrote, is the second best song title. And the last track, Stinky Hole, one of the riffs in there, I just kept hearing that this Red Hot Chili Pepper song called American Ghost Dance. <laughs> yeah, it's a little funky. Yeah, that really covers off what I wanted to say about the tunes. It's different. You know, I was trying to think, other than Flag, is this the first purely instrumental album we've done? No, the first Gone. Oh, right. Yeah. Process of Weeding Out, Gone, and this one. I'd say so. And I mean, he, he mentioned seeing that Gone Painted Willie tour, so they they surely loved Gone, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sure they did too, yeah. The artwork is very cool, though, too. Really fits the record. It does, yeah. Yeah, the front cover is actually credited to Eric Bobst. It's hard to tell what it is. It almost looks like it's either paint or pastel. It's probably paint, mm -hmm. but um, it almost looks like kind of a, a nuclear atom in the middle with a, like half of a dragon head. Looks like Jesus with like a beer can, except a, like a pirate skull head. Yep. An alien head with like vampire fangs. I'm not sure how it, relates to the uh, the album title hold your tongue or any of the content in the album yeah. but it it fits it definitely fits it does yeah i thought the back cover was kind of dolly-esque little bit little bit i would say it uh the back cover is drawn by eric ungar actually yeah and um kind of it draws out the tracks on both sides of the record almost looks like the Ten Commandments, the way that they're drawn there. Right. Um, but but not with the arch top. Maybe they're just more like pages out of a book. There's a number of images on it. It looks to be done with pencil or maybe charcoal, probably pencil or pen. And I mean, I agree. There's a lot of Dolly-esque type stuff in there, like the, the hollow heads and... Uh, some of the other types of shapes in there written along the top. It says, thanks to all our friends and to caffeine, which I quite liked. Yep. There's also, um, in the bottom right image, there's, it's another, another person there with kind of a hollow head and along it, it has some 
some wording, and it's Mr. Empty Head, by the way. It says, Mr. Empty Head, on the throne of eternal judgment, holds few in favor. Mr. Empty Head says, absolutely not. And this was and, uh, this this never came out on CD either. It's only cassette and vinyl. Okay. Yeah, it says, recorded at Radio Tokyo, Ethan James, by, recorded by Ethan James and Richard Andrews, mixed by Ethan, produced by Alternatives. And it also says, uh, we mentioned like the band already, Chris, Greg, Jim, Eric, but guitar is actually credited to Greg the Slug Ottinger. Yes. The slug. <laughs> Any dead wax, Ryan? Yup. Hang on. So side A says Apple Core. Do you think that's like a jab at like hardcore? You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. Like we're not hardcore, we're Apple Core. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. And then side B says, where is Dylan Lane? And hmm. I don't know who that is. I didn't look it up. Did hmm. you? No, I don't know what that means. Oh, man. Maybe, it, you... maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's a street. Right. Yeah, one, two, three, Dylan Lane. Yep. <laughs> That's where I grew up. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for? Is the that your porno up? name? <laughs> it is definitely not. <laughs> I just had to get another porno reference in there. Yeah, you know what that's called, hey? What? A three banger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is more than enough. Yeah. Are you ready for the ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. What'd you pick? Uh, I, I kind of gave it away earlier. I would go with out of my brain. Oh, really? Yeah. I really like that tune, but it's got, I don't know why it's got flute in it. Every time I heard the flute, I kept picturing that movie that has Will Ferrell in it. Anchorman. Oh, yeah. Where, where he tears it up on the flute in that bar. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind a little flute now and then. Oh, neither do I. I've got some Herbie man records, man, and I'll throw them on. No, that would be mine. What about you? I liked the first one, Sunset. I was thinking though, I'd be curious to do like a graph and see how many first tracks we've we've put on the ballot result. Do you think there's a pretty good representation? I th I bet there is, yeah. I liked yeah. quite I I liked quite a few of these tracks. Soul was another one I liked. Firewater, Auxiliary Drain. Over yeah, the, that one's good. Over the Counterculture I liked. Circular Motion I liked. Some of these don't have Eric though, and I feel like we should pick one that has the whole band. So I'm cool with Out of My Brain. Are you sure? I'm positive. What about what would be your favorite one with sax on it? Probably Firewater slash Auxiliary Drain, because I liked the riffing. It had some chugging on the rift on the riff. <laughs> <laughs> too much. The, the other the track the other track had too much flute and not enough chugging. Actually, I don't think Eric's in that one, so we can't pick that one. Okay. Let's do out of my brain. Let's go with some flute. Right. Let's get some flute on the compilation tape. Yeah. Speaking of which, what what are the chances you'll be able? Because I really feel like this uh, this next edition of the ballot result is going to be awesome. What are the chances you can get that on a hard copy CD for me? Probably slim to none. <laughs> i was Dang thinking it. i was thinking about that like recently you were all like you had asked to get those dark side demos yeah 
I'm like, how are you even going to listen to them if I get them? <laughs> like I'll Dropbox them to you and six months from now you'll go like, I still haven't listened to them because I don't have a physical copy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I might not listen to them actually. Yeah. But did you get them? No, I, ha- them? I haven't gotten them yet. Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk. Yeah. Well, that's the alternatives. I'm looking forward to the next few records. Or oh, at least yeah. I think there's two more. I think it'll be very cool to get into them even deeper. Ryan, what's next week? Well, next week, I believe, is another first for us. It's the band Paper Bag, SST76, Paper Bag, doing the album Ticket to Trauma. Oh, boy, I can't wait to get into that. And hey, Ryan, before we go, thanks one more time to Chris Bopes for being on the podcast. Definitely. Thanks, Chris. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.